Hello and welcome to Andy Godden, strike three. Caught looking with Erica. Today I'm joined by the next best thing to a professional baseball player, 2012 high school JV pitcher, and the second biggest Red Sox fan I know, my brother, Mitchell Jones. Hey Mitchell, how are you? So glad to have you with me today on the podcast. Hey Erica, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to be on the podcast and talk some baseball. That is what we like to hear, and it has been a great season so far, so let's jump right into it. Let's start off by talking about Albert Pujols. I mean, one of the best players, certainly in my lifetime and in the history of the game. You're talking about a guy that's top five all-time in homers, and obviously it was, you know, people know that Wait, he's... Mitchell, I need to interrupt you. I think that's degrading to say that he's top five all-time, because yes, that's true, but... He also hasn't cheated, at least that we know of. And I know there's mixed thoughts about that. You don't necessarily think it's as big of a deal as I do, but we do need to take that into account, and I want to give him a little more credit for that. That's certainly fair, but regardless, any way you put it, one of the best players and certainly one of the best home run hitters of all time and a great ambassador of the game. And obviously, you know, this isn't the vintage Pujols of old that we saw in St. Louis for so many years, but... You know, this is still one of the game's all-time greats, and it definitely was a big surprise to see him released from the Angels, uh, especially a team that isn't really going anywhere near the bottom of the standings, and it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. You saw David Ortiz outspoken about it, and many other players and people in the media. How did you feel about the Angels' decision? So I think it's interesting you brought up the David Ortiz thing. I was going to mention that for so many years, and like you said, Albert Pujols' prime was when he was with the Cardinals. So that was a pretty big, almost rivalry, you could say, the Red Sox and the Cardinals at the time in a couple of World Series. So they were going right against each other. Those games, they were both the all-stars of those games. And even still, for David Ortiz, and obviously these guys are mature, but for him to come out and basically say, this is fucked up, that says a lot because we can talk about it all day and we can give our opinions on whether or not it's disrespectful, but a guy who has actually been at a caliber of his and actually been in the game, that's something people like you and me who are fans and watch from the outside will never be able to understand. So honestly, I do think it's a little bit disrespectful only because if we look at his stats, I mean, they're almost not real. So now we're looking at 668 home runs. And we talk about guys who hit 500 home runs. That's like automatic Hall of Fame. So this is a guy that in his career could be 200 over that. And I think that his contract is supposed to expire at the end of this year. But I don't know. That doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be done. So what do we think of the Dodgers then being like, all right, we want to take a chance on this guy. To me, I thought it was really, really weird at first because the Dodgers pretty much undisputed going into this season. And I'm not talking about how they're playing now, but they were the favorite to win the World Series again, most definitely. So a team that isn't even doing good, isn't even really right now in playoff contention, despite the fact that they have Trout and Otani, which we'll get into more later, a team like that says, we're too good for you. We don't need you. We have too many good hitters. But then the favorite to win the World Series decides to take a chance on this guy. I didn't really understand that. What were your thoughts on that when you first saw a social media post about Albert Pujols signing with the Dodgers? Yeah, well, well, first back to the release. I mean, I get you know, what he's done for the game or whatever. But a, lo- a lot of what he's done and everything was with the Cardinals. And 
he obviously had some good years and put up some numbers and spent a lot of time in Los Angeles. But at the end of the at the end of the day, you know, the Angels aren't going anywhere. They paid him over two hundred million dollars. He's he's clearly not a part of their future. And you're just talking about a, a older player that you know has a six twenty two OPS in twenty four games. Despite who he is, it just didn't make a lot of sense for them uh, to have him taking at bats away from younger guys or even sitting on the bench and not taking at bats. So I completely understand what the Angels did and why they did it. Obviously, it sucks to see someone get released, and you know it might be embarrassing for a player of that cal- caliber to get released. But I get it. And then turning to the Dodgers, you know, I remember. You know, just what you brought up, it's like, so let me get this straight. He's not good enough to play for the last place Angels, but he's going to slot in and in his first game hit cleanup for the World Series favorite. And, you know, this also, you know, was right in line with a time where the Dodgers were struggling. They were the World Series favorite, but they were in third place. They weren't playing great baseball. They've been dealing with injuries. Dustin May, Cody Bellinger, and more recently, Corey Seager. Uh, You know, they thought... Pujols might have something left, and it was worth a low-risk thing to bring him in and and see if you can squeeze anything out of him. And quickly, in his first five games, he's getting consistent at bats. He has a home run, four RBI. Uh, You know, we definitely questioned it, and it seemed a little silly, but, you know, it seems like it could be a good move for the Dodgers. Honestly, when I first saw this, the first thing I thought of was, wow, that's amazing for Pujols. He doesn't have to move. I'm sure his living location wasn't the first thing he thought of. He was going to find a house wherever, but I'm sure he's been settled for the past 10 years in Los Angeles, has a beautiful home there, so that was definitely a factor. But with baseball and him being on the Dodgers, you mentioned before it being embarrassing for him to be released from the Angels, which, yes, I see where you're coming from, but if you look at this guy's stats... I don't think you can say anything's embarrassing. He's He's got nothing more to prove. And I was more worried with him being embarrassed once he was on the Dodgers because now we have a team that's, despite how they're playing right now, incredible, no doubt. And then if they put him in, he's hitting cleanup. It's almost like, are they trying to make a mockery of him? So that made me even more concerned. He has such a chip on his shoulder in that aspect. I really, really didn't want to see him fail. And his first game when he's hitting cleanup and he just has a RBI single. Obviously, it's great to hit an RBI single, but pretty much any guy in the major leagues can do that. At least I hope they can. They probably shouldn't be in the majors. But for me to see that was so exciting and I was so happy for him because he deserves to be playing well. No one should look at him and be like, why would any team have him hitting cleanup because of who he is? And unfortunately, that is what people are going to say. You and I thought that. So I'm very happy with how he's playing. I really, really hope it continues. And now he's in a situation where he could end his career with another ring on his finger. Yeah, and, and just one more thing on Pujols, you know, talking about a ring and getting opportunity with the Dodgers. Another reason I didn't have that much of a problem with releasing him is you you read some reports that the, the Angels had said they were going to start limiting his at-bats and his playing time was going to lessen. So you could almost argue they did him a favor. You know, at this point in his career with all he has under his belt, like, does he really want to ride the bench for a last-place team where now he gets to move across town, he gets to be on the favorite to win the World Series and get a chance to play pretty much every day. So I, I think it was really a great opportunity for him and gave him the opportunity to be in a much better situation. I do agree. I think ultimately it was the best decision for him and 
sooner or later people will realize that. I'm very excited to see if our guy Big Poppy speaks out again about it. I hope he does, but it's definitely gonna work out for the best. Moving on to something that could turn into a similar situation, another future Hall of Famer who has not been his authentic self recently, longtime Tiger, the guy himself, Miguel Cabrera. Let's unpack this. Instantly one of the best right-handed hitters to play the game, one of the best hitters I've certainly ever seen. Uh, had some amazing years with Detroit early on, won the ring with the Marlins, and just has been a staple of this city for a long, long time. And you look now, last couple of years, Tigers have been horrible. He's been horrible. He's, he's really slowly, slowly riding out this huge contract, which has become a burden on the city. And it's, it's really sad to see what he's become. You're talking about a guy that is nine home runs away from 500, and he has a 204 average, 617 OPS, and he only has four homers this year, two, two of which were last night. So it's, it's really interesting to see what will happen with him. Um, I know, obviously, the main thing he's going for right now is to get that 500 home run mark, which I think and hope if he stays healthy, he can get this season. But after that, it'll be interesting to see if he gets released, if he decides to retire, or how the story ends for him. Yeah, I agree. I'm definitely looking forward to see how that story ends for him. But what's interesting is with Albert Pujols, this is the last year of his contract. So it's not as much pressure, if you would say. Anyone that takes him is a low risk. But Miggy's not going anywhere anytime soon. His contract still has at least a good three years to it, which is crazy considering how he's playing now. Not to say he couldn't make a miraculous comeback, but that's generally not what happens. So I do think it's unfortunate for the Tigers because the Tigers, it's a decent market. We've seen them be an incredible team in the past. It's not like they're doomed and are just never going to be good again. It's been a few years for them, but I definitely think Detroit can rise back to what it used to be and they can be in playoff, even World Series contention. So I would never want to call him a burden, but financially, that's definitely a huge factor. You're paying a guy that's barely hitting 200. I don't even think he is hitting quite 200 right now. $30 million a year, that's going to cause some problems. But backtracking a little bit even, you go back to opening day, that was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. The Tigers playing in a snowstorm. I mean, that's wild. We've lived in Michigan our whole lives and I've never even experienced something like that. Have you been to a game in a snowstorm? Uh, no, I've been to some cold games, but to see a baseball game looking like an X Games event was, was definitely something I've never encountered. Right. And on that day, he hits a home run, doesn't even realize it's a home run. If nothing else, it was entertaining for anyone that was watching it, but that was definitely an exciting start to the season. We know he's getting older. I always hate saying that in baseball because he just turned 38. So by no means is he old, but for sports, it's all relative. An older player for the game. Anyway, so he hits that home run, and that was almost like, wow, maybe he's actually going to have a good season. Opening day, hits that homer, and then few and far between since then. I think it's unfortunate. I don't know. If I had to guess, I would say the Tigers are going to keep him because even though I do think they have what it takes to build back up. It's not going to happen today or tomorrow. So if they need to keep him for another three years, I don't think they're winning the World Series within that time period regardless. What do you think? Yeah, I uh, I don't know. I think with what he's meant to Detroit and how long he's been here, it, it would be hard for the Tigers to cut ties with him. I think eventually uh, it'll end on his terms when he wants to get out. But 
you know, we're talking about guys, Pujols and Miggy, both with MVPs under their belts that, you know, are sort of on their swan song at the end of their career. But let's, let's talk about the guys that are in the prime of their career that are contending for the MVPs right now this year through about a quarter of the season in each league. Because we, we've really got so much young talent in the game today, and there's some guys having some unbelievable seasons. I don't care who you are. I don't care what team you're a fan of. When MVPs for this season are brought up, the first guy that comes to mind has to be Shohei Otani. I swear this guy's superhuman. It's crazy. There's nothing to compare him to outside of Babe Ruth, who, you know, me, you, no one we know really saw Babe Ruth play, obviously. So this really is uncharted territory uh, to have someone come over and to be able to hit as well as Mike Trout and pitch as well as DeGrom. Well, not DeGrom. No one pitches as well as DeGrom. But to pitch as well as Scherzer or Bieber or Cole or any of these guys, it, it really is incredible. I mean, personally, I would think it was incredible if he went out there and could be a starting pitcher and have like a four ERA and hit 20 home runs. But this guy's near the league lead in ERA and in home runs. It, it really is. It's like a video game. It, it, it doesn't even seem real. An interesting thing about that, and I know you and I were having a private conversation about this about a week ago probably, is it even fair to have him competing against other guys for this MVP award? And on one hand, we were saying, yes, it's fair because no one's stopping any of these other guys from doing what he's doing, but that's not the norm. That's not the expectation. Normally in the past, you're gifted at one thing. So I almost feel like, not that he shouldn't be able to qualify for the MVP, obviously, if he's the most valuable player, he's the most valuable player, but I almost think he's in a category of his own. Like, we have the Cy Young Award, I think one day there might need to be an Otani Award. I'm serious. It's just not, you cannot compare him to guys, especially who we're going to talk about in a minute, someone like J.D. Martinez. Love J.D., one of my favorite players of all time, but he hits the ball. He hits the ball incredible, plays the field every now and then, but how do you compare someone who is just hitting the ball to someone who's doing what Otani's doing? Can we? Yeah, th that's a good point. I mean, the reason there is a Cy Young Award and Silver Slugger Awards and Gold Glove Awards is to recognize people that do different things. It's it's so hard to compare a pitcher to a position player. And the example you just gave is great with J.D. Martinez. I mean, he's as good of a hitter as we have in the game, but primarily he's just going to hit. You got Otani playing right field, pitching and hitting in the same game. It's just it's just a, a, different, a different world. And the craziest thing to me about Otani is he's teammates with a guy named Mike Trout, and he's really stolen all the headlines. And, and that's incredible. And... We can get into Trout now because, you know, someone that already has three MVPs and as long as he's going to, he's in the league for my money, he's going to be the favorite to win the MVP going into every year. And, you know, now, I mean, he's obviously still listed as one of the favorites with the start he had hitting 333 over a thousand OPS, but especially with his teammate looking better and all these other incredible hitters, uh, I know it's only... May 22nd, but with how long Trout's going to be out for and the other talent in the AL, I really don't think he's going to be able to produce the numbers to get back in this MVP race. Unfortunately, I do agree with that. We heard just a couple weeks, not even, I think within the past week we heard that Trout's now out six to eight weeks. We're talking a third of the season. As great as he may be, 
I honestly don't think it's fair to even have someone in contention for an MVP who's out for a third of the season, so ultimately is only going to play for 66% at best to compare with guys who are going to ultimately play, what, 155 games. Trout's awesome, incredible. He's not won his last MVP, but I don't know if this is going to be his year. Yeah, I mean, every day that he's out, you know, J.D. Martinez and these other guys, they're not going to stop hitting home runs. So when he comes back, which I hope is sooner than later, it's just going to be too late for him. And for my money, as long as Otani's healthy for the whole season, which unfortunately we've seen in his young career has been a concern for him, but if he stays healthy... And he can even regress a little bit on both sides. But if he stays healthy and does even close to what he's doing, I think he's going to run away with this MVP award. But I do want to talk a little bit about two other guys that are definitely right there in the conversation that are also having unbelievable years, uh, both in the AL East, actually. First off, we got Vlad Guerrero Jr., who is so fun to watch play. I mean, this is a guy we've been hearing about for years and years, uh, being the son of an amazing baseball player and there's been so much hype around him and with the shortened seasons and just struggling a little bit when he first started coming up uh not everything's been great but coming into this year he lost a lot of weight which was a big storyline around him and he looks great he's playing first base now and he's doing what we've all been promised he is absolutely raking he's uh through today he's got a 338 average 13 homers 36 RBIs, and an OPS north of 1,000. Um, it's just it's just awesome to see this kid play at this level and know that we're going to be seeing this for a lot while, and he might have more to give. We say the guys we're talking about right now are in their prime. We don't even know if he's reached his prime yet, which is crazy to even try and put out there, but it's true. We don't know, and I really do think one thing that you and I talk about a lot in Anyone who's a big baseball fan and watches a lot of games can speak on this for sure. But there are certain guys that every single time they step up to the plate, your stomach drops a little bit. And you're like, holy shit, they could hit a home run at every single at-bat. For me, it was always Aaron Judge. When I first became a baseball fan, every time Judge came up to bat, I don't care what the score in the game was, I would just get this sick feeling because you know at that point, no matter how late it is, no matter how many outs are left, he's going to do some damage and the game is not over. And I think Vlad's starting to give me that same feeling. How about you? Yeah, I mean, watching, you know, the AL East and and the Red Sox so much, you know, the Aaron Judges, the Stantons of the world, uh, whenever they come up, you get a knot in your stomach, as you said, and, and Vlad's right there. But Luckily, on the other side, the team we're cheering for, the Red Sox have a couple pretty good hitters as well. And one one guy particularly that's definitely in the MVP conversation um, that's so awesome to see, um, which I'll get into a little bit, is, is J.D. Martinez. Because, you know, it's always been uh, J.D.'s calling card. He's known for the research he puts in, the time he puts in. Especially being a DH, you know, you have so much downtime, it's, it's hard to stay locked in not playing the field. But this guy's spending all his time watching film, taking swings, doing research, taking notes. And, and last year, uh, they limited a lot of the video access the players had. And he had a horrible season. You know, a lot of players had a horrible season with the shortened season and the pandemic. Um, but for him especially, like, you were wondering, like, how much of it actually is this lack of video? And is he going to bounce back next year? And he hasn't missed a beat. It's crazy. It really is everything for him. 
his homework, his research, his understanding of the game and the pitchers is everything. Um, you know, he's been in the Triple Crown, all three of the Triple Crown categories, he's been basically in the top five of the AL all year. And uh, I look for him to continue to even start hitting better as the weather warms up in the Northeast. And uh, I think he'll be in the MVP conversation for a while, too. Absolutely, unless something drastic happens, which, God forbid, uh, it's just so crazy. I'm looking at his stats right now, and I'm the first to say that last year, my money would not have been on JD. I don't care that it was only 60 games. He hit 213. That is bad. Yeah. Not even average and there. He, and now he's up to 335 right. through, through basically as many games as the season was last year. Right. The Red Sox have more wins than they ever had last year, and I just think it's crazy because... We were talking with Matt, close family friend of ours, the other day, not the other day, but right before the season started, and he said JD is going to hit 310 this year. And I laughed because even though it's JD Martinez, to think of any guy going from 213, yeah, things were weird last year, but then hitting almost 100 points higher than that is just crazy. But yeah, glad it, I, would, it would almost be a disappointment for him to hit 310 this year. Now. Right. I mean, yeah, glad I didn't put money on that because if he went down to 310, I think we would act like the sky is falling and he's in some huge slump. But absolutely in that conversation, I really do think, and just to wrap up the conversation about the American League contenders, the only thing going against these two guys, Vlad and JD, we said Trout's a little bit of a different situation. And these are just the guys that we're talking about right now. Obviously, there are other contenders. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're only a quarter of the way through yeah. the season, and there's a bunch of great players we didn't even list. Yeah, you I know, mean, I'm not going to knock out Judge, Xander. Judge, Xander. I mean, there, there's tons of guys. These guys, personally, have nothing working against them. The only thing any of these guys have working against them and is stopping them from walking away with an MVP is Otani. Yeah. It, it, it really is crazy in the American League, but I, I think it's his race to lose. But in the National League, um, there's also a ton of exciting players. And, you know, you also have not a pitcher that hits, but there's a pitcher in the NL MVP conversation also in uh, Jacob DeGrom. But first I want to talk about who I see as the front runner. I think the Vegas odds implies the front runner, and, and that's Ronald Acuna. I mean, this guy is... As good as it gets, as exciting as it gets, uh, any team would love to have him, and he's doing his thing. He just, this afternoon, took the Major League lead in home run with his 15th of the season. He's got 31 RBIs, hitting over 280, OPS off the charts, and he's just incredible. Yeah, that's going to put him on pace for, what, almost 60 home runs this season, and we talked about the conversation of, I know he's so, so young. It's so early in his career. But talking about guys who can potentially hit 500 home runs, we were doing some calculations last night. If he keeps things up, he 100% in 10 years could be in that 500 club, which is crazy to talk about for a guy this young, but that's where he's at right now. Moving right from him to another player that fits everything I said, young, amazing, exciting, is Fernando Tatis. I mean, a lot of people labeled this guy after he signed his huge contract in the offseason as the next face of the game. A lot of people view him as the face of the game with his personality and how good he is. And he's been dealing with some injuries and COVID, but you still look up and now he's back in the swing. 11 homers, only 20 RBIs due to some missed time, but 995 OPS, right near a 280 batting average. And this guy's gonna gonna get hot. He's gonna keep mashing and I think he'll be in the MVP conversation the whole year too. 
And aside from the way he performs on the field, which is absolutely undeniable, there's something about Tatis. He's just got this cool kind of swagger to him that makes him so cool. He's got these blonde dreads. He walks up and he just looks like a bad dude, for lack of a better words. He's someone you want to watch. He's exciting. He's someone that MLB wants to be a face of the game, and he has got the personality. We talk about guys like Xander Bogarts, who are absolutely incredible, but don't like the spotlight as much. But Tatis is definitely here for it. He's young, and I can see him rolling with it for as long as the MLB wants to put him in that spotlight. Obviously, every person has their own personality. Uh, it doesn't make anyone better or worse, but you know, you got guys like you mentioned, Bogarts and Trout. They're as good as anyone, but they just put their head down and they just play. Where you know, you got guys like Trevor Bauer, Lindor, Tatis, and Acuna. These guys wear their emotion on their sleeve. They're flashy and they want to make it known that they're there and make the game exciting. And I think that's personally awesome. Another guy that we didn't mention that isn't the big flashy personality but is better than anyone else is Jacob deGrom. And a couple things about him real quick. Um, You know, he's so good. Obviously, it's so hard for a pitcher to be in the MVP race. But you look up, he's missed a little time. He just made a rehab start, which we can actually talk about in a second too. But he's joining the Mets back, so... He's got a .68 ERA. I mean, this is this is the major leagues, and he has a .6 ERA. He obviously doesn't have as many innings due to the injury, and he doesn't have as many wins because the Mets don't like scoring for him. But this guy's going to be in the MVP race for the whole season for sure. I mean, if his ERA is around one, and I don't, it's going to be hard to deny him from the MVP. This guy is literally unhittable. And he's unhittable in the major leagues. The other day... He went down to single A, and he was throwing 102. I think he faced nine batters uh, and struck out eight of them. I mean, talk about unfair. Send help, please. Mitchell, what would you do if you're in A ball? You're just trying to do your best, trying to prove yourself, make it to the show, and then you have a guy that comes in and is throwing 102 miles an hour. I think I would run and hide. Yeah, I, I might just stand far away from the plate and watch his pitches come in and on, and then maybe ask for an autograph. Any pitcher that's even in the conversation for MVP contenders has got to be incredible. We even saw this past offseason when the MLB came out with their top 100 rankings from the prior season. It was Trout, it was Mookie, and then it was DeGrom. And some people might have disagreed with that only because of the fact that it is hard to compare a pitcher to guys like Mookie and Trout. But the fact that even the most respected people when it comes to baseball opinions put him there definitely says a lot. And keep in mind, DeGrom also was hitting outstanding in the couple starts he has made. So we'll see if he can keep that up. But before we get on to something else, the last thing I wanted to mention in terms of the National League is Nolan Arenado. This is a guy who seemingly wins the gold glove every year, seemingly hits 30 homers and 100 RBIs every year. He's part of a huge trade in the offseason, was unhappy in Colorado where he spent most of his career, or sorry, all of his career, and they move him to the Cardinals who are having a great year. They're in first place, and he's doing his thing, hitting right around 300, OPS over 900, 10 homers, 31 RBIs. This is just a guy you're going to want on your team any day of the week. 
I think any player who's that good at some point in their career needs to play for one of the top marquee teams, whether it be Yankees, Red Sox, Dodgers, Cubs, Cardinals, teams like that that are just a completely different environment where it's more than just about the ball game. It's representing a brand, the fans, the environment. It's a completely different thing. And like I said, the Cardinals are definitely one of those teams. So to be representing a franchise like that as such a great player is definitely an opportunity that anyone at that caliber needs to experience it some point. Guys just get opportunities in cities like that that you're not going to get in the smaller markets. I don't necessarily think it needs to be, you know, one of those teams you mentioned, but for sure for him to be in Colorado was just a shame. I mean, he signed this huge deal with Colorado and they told him that they were getting ready to compete and going to build around him and, and they just showed no signs of it. So he requested out and they obliged and traded him and it's going to be super happy to see him take meaningful at bats deep into August, September and it looks like October is coming for the Cardinals too. St. Louis is having a great season and the Cardinals have more postseason appearances than just about any team in modern history. So especially with him on the team this year, I wouldn't be surprised to see them in October. You look at the Cardinals and, and, and that, that's a gold standard for a franchise. Speaking of the Cardinals and gold standard, we got to talk about this Tony La Russa thing who obviously is no longer managing the Cardinals and came out of retirement in his 70s to manage the White Sox, which was a huge story this offseason. I don't want to spend too much time on this because it's all you've been hearing about around baseball this last week, but we got to talk about what happened in this game between the White Sox and the Twins last week, where the Twins were up by 11, or excuse me, the White Sox were up by 11 in the ninth inning. The Twins throw out a position player. You got a 3-0 count, and you got Yermin Mercedes swinging for the fences, Gets a 49-mile-an-hour pitch and just launches it. And this rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, fans, media. But most interestingly, Tony La Russa, his manager. And, you know, not only was he not happy with it and wanted to address it privately, he was outspoken against his player in the media saying that this was horrible. He needs to learn a lesson. He's going to be punished. And then the next day, you got the Twins throwing a pitch behind him to send a message and instead of defending his player you got La Russa going to the media and saying he deserved it I have a problem with him and it's hard to question La Russa with you know how the White Sox are doing they have uh, the second best winning percentage in the AL and are in it for the long haul but it's for sure a bad look to have the players and manager not on the same page and you know the manager throwing the players under the bus in front of the media so I guess my question to you is, what was your take, A, on swinging on the 3-0 count and hitting the home run, and B, how La Russa acted towards the media about his team and players? Well, I want to break this down a little bit because I really do think we're talking about two separate issues here. The first issue is La Russa and how he handled that situation with Mercedes, which there's the problem of respecting your authorities, your manager. So if which is what we heard, which is what the public knows. La Russa told him, do not swing at that pitch. And he went ahead and swung at that pitch. Yes, I agree that that is wrong of him. I understand why La Russa's mad at him. You need to do what your manager tells you to do. But I think the way that La Russa is handling this situation is immature. You should not be talking shit about your players. At the end of the day, he still is your player. You can say you want to punish him all you want. How much can you punish him, though? Because it's obviously going to have a negative impact on your team. So that's one issue, is the little debacle between the two of them. 
But then there's the issue of why can't he swing on a 3-0 pitch? He is getting paid to play baseball. He's supposed to be swinging the bat and getting on base. And you know what? What is wrong with him swinging on a 3-0 count? You've mentioned this to me a ton of times. If the other team is showing that they care so little, they're clearly forfeiting the game by putting in a position player, they've given up everything on that game. So how can they expect their opponent to show respect, which is what the issue is here, and just also try and not play as well? No, he should be able to swing. If he wants to swing at that, if he wants another homer, go ahead, do it. That is your stats, and it's not a bad look for the whole team. People will know. If that's what LaRouche is worried about, that it's a bad look for him, He's made it very clear that it's not a reflection of him. And if people want to think lowly of Mercedes, whatever. His stats went up. If that's what he wanted, then good for him. I don't think anyone should be able to say that it's disrespectful. And what's even more ridiculous about this situation is people think there's nothing wrong in that situation of swinging if it's a 3-1 count or 3-2 count. That just makes me laugh. I don't even know what to say about that. It's pathetic. It's ridiculous. How can you tell someone it is so disrespectful and worth such high heat if you're swinging at 3-0, but other accounts that start with three aren't a problem? It makes no sense. Once you put a position player out there, all the rules, unwritten rules, they go out the window. You're mad that he's showing you guys up or not respecting the game. What's disrespectful to the game is putting a pitcher out there that's throwing pitches in the 40s. That's that's middle school. So I, I just really think the whole situation was ridiculous. Good for Mercedes. Good for his teammates for standing up for him. Uh, hopefully the White Sox figure it out in their clubhouse. But I, I definitely think LaRusse is in the wrong here. Absolutely. I agree completely. And... Completely transitioning from this topic, let's talk about some big surprises. And with surprises, I would love to talk about positives, but the biggest surprises that we have listed here are actually negatives. The two things that jump off the page negatively are Francisco Lindor and Mookie Betts. I mean, these are guys in the last two off-seasons that signed record-breaking deals. Mookie, 12 years, $365 million, and uh, Lindor, 10 years, $341 million. Mookie has more of a track record, has the MVP, has two rings, and, you know, had a good season last year, although it was the shortened season after signing his deal. But, man, the Mets, they make a big splash. They trade for Lindor. They extend him 10 years, $341 million. And these numbers are, I, I, I think, I wrote them down myself, and I still think they're wrong. 197 average, three homers, nine RBIs and an OPS under 600. This is Francisco Lindor we're talking about. Like, there's a reason they paid him $341 million, and, and this is not it. You know, we joke about this all the time, but imagine making $341 million to be, I don't even want to say doing poorly at your job, just straight up not doing your job. He is not doing what they're paying him to do. And like you said, him not as much as Mookie, but still, he has the receipts to prove that he was likely going to do what they needed him to do. And he has a lot of time. We can't necessarily get too concerned yet because it is still only about a fourth of the way into the season. But if I'm the GM or even the manager, I'm scratching my head a little bit thinking about that contract I just signed for Mookie also. I don't care how good he's been in the past. It's only the second year, this 12-year contract. It has to be nerve-wracking for anyone that made a decision to pay someone this much money to then see them performing the way they are. You're a GM and you give out these 10, 12-year deals. These guys are, are tied to your job. 
you know, you can't, and the way that the league works and these big businesses and how competitive it is, you can't afford to miss on something like that. And I'm not saying that Lindor's a miss, Lindor sucks, but it doesn't matter. Obviously, players are going to be cold, but when you pay a guy 30 plus million dollars a season, he should never have a 40 game stretch where he hits under 200. It just, it can't happen. I almost feel badly because when there's such high expectations set out for a player and they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, there is a lot of high heat that comes along with that. The media is ruthless. I've talked to guys before that have said they've had to delete Twitter because they just can't handle every appearance they make. There are people tearing them apart. So it's hard to feel bad when someone's getting paid over $30 million, but he's still human and I cannot imagine what these guys are dealing with. More so Lindor, but... Uh, Mookie also, he's really not doing well, and I'm sure there's been a lot of talk about it. The fact that we didn't even have Mookie Betts in our list of contenders for an MVP is crazy. Never would I have thought that he wouldn't be on that list at this point in the season. Yeah, and you make a good point about Lindor in terms of dealing with the media and dealing with expectations. I'm sure it is hard getting paid that much money, knowing the expectations and trying every day to live up to them. And every game he struggles and his numbers get worse, it just puts more pressure on him, but... Another interesting thing there I just thought of is, you know, he went from Cleveland, which is a small market team. There's not going to be a ton of reporters in the clubhouse every day. There's not a ton of expectations. And now it's obviously not the Yankees, but he's playing in New York now. There's going to be questions asked of you after every game from fans, reporters, when you go out to dinner. I mean, it's just ruthless and it keeps piling up. You know, it every day it gets harder and harder. There's more pressure to get out of this slump, but... He's a great player. He seems like a great guy. I'm sure he'll figure it out, and, and I'm definitely cheering for him. But, man, the Mets fans cannot be happy with how the season started. No player should ever have to be scared to leave their house and go out to dinner because they're worried that someone's going to come up to them, talk trash, say nasty things. It should never be like that. At the end of the day, it's supposed to be fun. It's baseball. America's pastime. We love watching baseball. Everyone loves watching baseball. It, it doesn't need to turn into something like that, and it makes me sad to think about that that is likely what these guys have to deal with. Yeah, so jumping into some positives, let's talk about the Giants. This is a team that also gold standard organization had a crazy run, obviously, where they won three rings in five years. And, you know, they haven't been great since then. But this was a team that in a division as tough as it gets, you got San Diego and L.A., two of the best teams in the National League. No one gave the Giants a chance, and basically throughout the first quarter of the season, they've been leading the pace. They've been in first place. I know they had a tough loss last night to the Dodgers in the first game of that series, which I'm looking forward to watching, and the Padres tied them for first place, but you got to give a shout-out to the, to the Giants, not really caring what anyone said, not the players not caring about people writing them off, all the talk about L.A., all the talk about the Padres, and going out and just playing some good baseball. Play the underdog. You've said it. I'll say it. If that's what teams need to do, play that part. Be the team that no one expects anything of and then exceed all the expectations. Blow your opponents out of the water. That's exactly what they're doing. On the other side of the country, another team that was not talked about as a contender for the division is the Red Sox. Same thing with the Giants. They've had a lot of success recently. A lot of World Series. Great organization, but... Everyone was penciling in the Yankees to win the division, giving the Jays with their new look a chance, the Rays, the defending American League champs, and people had the Red Sox finishing in fourth. And after getting swept by the Orioles to open the season, 
the Red Sox have basically been in first place ever since. So shout out to them. Having Alex Cora back helps. Having J.D. Martinez back, even though he was there last year, helps. And they're just playing really well. Yeah, so a big issue that we talked about with the Red Sox at the beginning of the season was that there was too big of a discrepancy between the great guys and the not-so-great guys. But as the season's gone on, even the guys that are quote-unquote not-so-great are doing well. Bobby Dahlback has hit some amazing home runs, super clutch, Love what I'm seeing there. And it's almost not such a team anymore where the lineup only has four incredible hitters and then everyone else is kind of just there. Now, yes, of course, we have three, four guys that are absolutely incredible. No question better than the others, but we can still expect the others to help out, get the ball in play, and definitely be there for support. The meat of the lineup's been doing the heavy lifting, but on days those guys aren't producing, there's been contributions from all different types of players. So if they can keep that up and get Chris Sale back, they should be uh, contending for the AL East the whole summer. Um, but now some teams that were... Sus- I can't talk. Now some teams that were supposed to be near the top of the standings that aren't near the top of the standings. Uh, I think this has to be the most shocking one to me is the Minnesota Twins. This is a team that they've been competitive. They've been making the playoffs and... They were right behind the White Sox as the second favorite to win the AL Central. And you look up, and they're the worst team in the American League. They can't get anyone out. They can't score any runs. The Twins are a debacle. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny to say that they're the worst team when they're playing in a league with the Tigers, but they are the worst team. Yeah, it, it, it really is incredible to look at the standings and see the Twins below the Tigers and the Royals with the talent they have on that team and and what they've done the last couple of years, it's just shocking. Yeah, and we're at a point in the season about a fourth of the way through. It's definitely deep enough in to talk about some stuff and say that teams are taking form, but there is still so much time. So yes, we can make educated opinions, but we could have a conversation in two months where we still have another two months left of the season and things look completely different. So I don't necessarily want to count anyone out just yet, but it is crazy to see them in the basement there. Another team not living up to expectations, they are in the basement, and they're only a couple games out of first place. But you talk about the Atlanta Braves. They got Ronald Acuna, who's the favorite to win the MVP this year. They got Freddie Freeman, who was the MVP last year. They were a game away from the World Series last year. They had a 3-1 lead. I'm the Dodgers in the NLCS, and they come out of the gates struggling. They're 21 and 24. They're not playing their game. They got all the talent in the world. I don't know what's going wrong. Maybe a hangover from that deep run and the disappointment of last year is still lingering over them, but it has not been good for the Braves. You mentioned last year, but I don't ever think we can talk about a prior season. Take the Red Sox. 2018 will go down as one of the best teams in history. And then 2019 horrible. Couldn't even watch most of that season. So I don't necessarily think it's fair to talk about it from a perspective of what they were doing in prior seasons. It's a new season. Everyone has a clean slate, no matter what the opinions are, what the expectations are going in. But it definitely is sad, if nothing else, to see things that to see things the way they are. But they're a team, as I was saying before, that I would not count out still because there's so much time left for them to really flip the switch and make a 180 on that. And I would have a very, very hard time believing that's not going to happen, at least to some extent. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. As you said, there's been enough games to sort of have a feel for these teams' identities, but there's still 120 games left, so a lot's going to change. And before we go, don't want to really get into this, but sort of just wanted your opinion. Obviously, this has been unprecedented. We've had six no-hitters, and seven, if you count Madison Bumgarner's seven-inning no-hitter, which we don't need to get into, but my two questions for you quickly on this. Do you think with all these no-hitters that throwing a no-hitter is less special? And then do you think this is going to continue for the last 75% of the season? Is it less special? No, not necessarily. I don't think it's fair to take anything away from a no-hitter, but I guess that kind of contradicts what I'm about to say because at the end of the day, a no-hitter is just a win. It's more special for the pitcher, but for the team, it really means nothing. The pitcher is the one who's solely responsible for that. So great for them. But I don't know. Sometimes I do think they're a little bit overhyped from a team standpoint. I think teams get a little too much recognition for no hitters when we really should be recognizing the pitchers. And I do think, regardless of the fact that there's six of them, I think it's still as big of an accomplishment for the pitcher. Absolutely. Now I'm kind of feeling bad for these three teams, the Rangers, the Mariners, and the Indians, who have been no hit twice. That's a little embarrassing if you ask me. To have six no hitters is crazy, and to have it happen against three teams is also crazy. I mean, it's got to be a long day at the ballpark as a fan and as a player when your team doesn't get a hit. So we'll see if this continues, but... Either way, it's been crazy so far. Let's just hope we never have to see the Red Sox get no hit. Looking forward to lock into the next 120 games and see how the season continues to unfold. Thanks again for joining me today. Great to talk baseball with you. We'll talk to you soon. And as always, don't get caught looking.